0: Hi, uh, this is Eli. Um, welcome to episode three. Uh, this one is going to be about metal. Um, I'm been trying to psych myself up about this one. I really wanted to uh, do this about bookbinding or glass, but because um, I feel like those, I just know so much better that I can really get in detail. But I do know metal pretty well and i can really geek out about it um and i think i've got a pretty good direction here i'm just leaving palo alto now it's 10 o'clock at night um just made pumpkins they were really beautiful pumpkins wow i am getting good at making pumpkins i'll be honest with you um i mean i made a lot of pumpkins but we made them in a different style tonight um they're uh Rather than putting the stem on after you break it off onto the hole that you just broke it off from, we're uh, putting them on while they're on the stick. They're still on the pipe when we're putting the stem on. It's a little bit unorthodox, but it's California. It's Palo Alto style. It's not, we're not in Seattle right now. So uh, we're not in the Northwest. Different, <clears throat> different pumpkin style down here. Uh, people like to do it this way down here. I've seen it, seen it a number of times down here. So, but I'm not going to talk to you about that because we're going to talk about metal. Driving home to Oakland, we got about an hour. I can tell you this story. Me and Chief Seattle, my big old 130-pound Leon burger. he's in the back. He's really stinky right now. Cruising in the car. I got one carrot for my second supper right now. Um, I'm really excited about that carrot. It's going to be delicious. There's a little couple bites of applesauce left too, really, if I'm being honest, which I probably should be because this is a it's a podcast about craft. And craft, is it's important to be honest with yourself when you're addressing craft because if you want to get better at things and making things, then really being able to look objectively at what you're making and addressing it and then categorizing cataloging the information that you have about what you've seen what you know and what you need to know and what you're trying to get to is all really important so being honest it's just like being an outlaw if you want to be an outlaw you gotta be honest if you want to be crafts gotta be honest if you want to be an outlaw craftsperson, you gotta be extra honest so here we are, the moment of truth. We're going to talk about metal, and what I really want to talk about <clears throat> specifically is prepping your metal to weld and braze. And through that, we're going to need to talk about the difference of welding and brazing, and then we're also going to need to talk about different metals and what those metals are. So I think it's first best to talk about mild steel or. Um, steel, as it's often referred to, uh, which I think is um, one of my favorites. That's why I wanted to start with mild steel. Because it's just such a great alloy. And I don't think we give it enough respect as an alloy. Um, And the basis of it being iron ore, which is also actually... that's one's probably my favorite. Because it's just such a great metal. Um, You know, it's... Just really strong and it's magnetic and it doesn't scale uh heat. Um you know it's probably let's be real, that's probably my favorite. I gotta be honest here. It's all about honesty. So um steel, we're gonna weld it. And if we want to weld it, um We're going to need to get pretty hot. Uh, we're going to need that environment to be, um, free of oxygen because if steel is to oxidize, uh, it will, it won't want to stick to itself. It won't want to melt into itself. If it, if there's oxygen available, it's going to oxidize, which is going to create that scale or the rust. Um, and when it's hot, it's called scale. Um, and that oxidization will um, create a barrier for it to stick to itself, you know so uh, <clears throat> often you'll use a thing called a flux and a flux really I believe technically it's um lowers the melting temperature of something, but also a byproduct is purging the atmosphere of oxygen. Um, And you're going to flux things in a couple different ways. Um, Where you might use a chemical flux like borax. um, And borax can then, um, in its, I guess, in the combustion of that borax is going to create an oxygen free environment. Uh, But you can also use what's called a shielding gas when you're welding. And now we're going to be talking about um, electronic welding, where we're going to use uh, the power of electricity to weld something. Um, And a weldment being where we're actually taking the two metals of similar metallurgy, similar construction, and we are gonna be melting them together, turning them into one. Different than soldering or brazing, which is where we're gonna be using metal as a glue to stick two metals together, maybe even two separate different kind of metals. Uh, We are going to then take those two different metals and we are gonna apply a third different metal as the glue in there to braze it. now, might be a little confusing when I say the term glue because it's different than a uh, polyurethane or a polyvinyl acetate in that that glue is being applied at a 1,500 to 2,000 degree range. And some people might even take issue with it being called a glue. And if those people are going to take issue and you know who those people are, you might want to take note of that. Uh, it's important, I think... To be loose and fast with our terms and understand what we're dealing with technically rather than just the term um and i've kind of come around to believing in that and it's a great way to describe it to somebody because it really helps you understand it um uh, so let's back up now back to welding our steel together if we're going to do it electronically we might be using a couple different kind of welders. There's an arc welder, a MIG welder, or a TIG welder. Uh, An arc welder is going to be, and they're all essentially arc welding. Um, And where a arc welder, the idea is that you are creating an arc of electricity that is hot enough where it takes the metal to a plasma state and that's that blue glowing stuff that is where you get past you go from solid to liquid to gas to plasma super duper extra excited electrons and that moment of extreme um electron excitement um is where uh oh, dang I missed my dang exit um, that moment of electron excitement, which so I'm getting so dang excited about these electrons that I'm missing my dang exit um so that moment of electron excitement is what is gonna melt the metals, and in that melting then you're also going to need to add a flux in that environment so that you can um, get the metals to melt into each other and become one metal and you would be doing this with steel is going to be with a mig welder and then You can also do that, you can do it with aluminum, and you can do it with brass, or brass alloys. Um, and, so copper, I'm assuming nickel, I'm not totally sure about nickel, and stainless steel, which is another really, really curious alloy, um, there's that dang South 101. How did I miss that? was on the right side. It should have been on the left side. Um, right. South 101, exit 404. You can remember a 404 because you're down in Palo Alto and it's a 404 error. And the you know like 404 error when you're on the internet, you're trying to find something and you can't find it. That's what I'm doing right now. I can't find it. Um, so these metals you want to stick them together and you want to merge them as one unlike anything other and unlike glue is similar to like when you're getting some glue in the wood um, polyvinyl acetate there's similarities there but there's nothing like welding. I mean, it's like maybe if you're taking two pieces of ice and you're going to m- melt them and then stick them together. Um, that's where you might be comparatively doing some welding um, in a, at room temp. So, um, here we are. Got our metals. We got our arc. It's got electric power going through it. High, uh... Is that going to be high voltage and low amperage? Lower voltage and higher amperage. Right? It's going to be a little bit of both, but I think it's the high amperage, which is really going to stick them together. Um... Because the high voltage is, that's the way you get the, um, right, that's what you're doing with neon, you'd be getting them high volts. Um, should probably read up on this stuff, but the part that I thought would be really interesting is not doing too many studies on the way into this stuff, um, so that I'm really coming with some uh, exciting and confusing, fresh info so I'm not just reading this off the dang internet, but I'm coming to you with the knowledge base that I bring to the workplace when I'm doing work. and, you know, a little bit of, uh, gold-fashioned confusion. Because I think that's also an important part of all this. Um, uh, just being a little bit, uh, a little confused. Okay. Here we are. I think I know where I am now. There's the off-ramp. Coming up here, we're gonna see... We're gonna take a right at meta. Um... All right. Doing it right here. All right. You can get to that Dumbarton Bridge. It's dark now. It's not going to be as beautiful as it was, but it's still beautiful. It's still beautiful out. Just like you. You're beautiful. So arc welding created a massive amount of heat through this Um High voltage arc. High voltage, high amperage. Oh man, now this is really going to bug me. Um, but that's okay. So, um, this powerful electric arc is going to melt the metals. And you could melt them with it and still not get them stuck together if there was enough oxygen in the environment that when they melted, then they would also oxidize and not stick together, essentially creating this kind of like layer of oxidized metal that wouldn't allow them to stick together. And so you're going to want to purge that atmosphere of oxygen. With with arc welding, often what it is is the stick of the arc welding is going to be covered, coated in a flux. And it's, the sticks look like a sparkler. It's like a metal with like this, you know, clay looking stuff kind of stuck on the outside. And that stuff, that's the stuff that burns off and purges the atmosphere of oxygen, creating this, um, a reduction environment that would allow the metals to then stick to stick together. Um, so that's arc welding that's the basic like stick welding arc stick welding so you would have your metal grounded using a ground wire you would um grounderize it on one side and then on the other side you're gonna have your electrode which is the stick and it's also your filler metal so the electrode and the um filler metal are the same and then with mig welding it's going to be the same you're going to have your electrode and your filler metal are coming from the same place but the mig rather than being a stick metal inert gas mig The MIG is going to be coming out of a spool, out of a little gun, like a hot glue gun sort of thing in your hand. And that will also have in that glue gun handheld device will be often a shielding gas coming out of that tube. Here we are at Meta taking a right to the Dumbarton Bridge so oh that moon is beautiful oh wow this is crazy alright take it all back it is beautiful this is a beautiful view um not quite like three quarter full moon the sky is a beautiful rich bourbon purple um Metal inert gas welding. You can use a shielding gas that uses a the tube that you have the metal the wire coming through has a tube that also runs gas through it, and that would be an argon or argon and carbon dioxide mix. And both of those are the argon being a um, inert gas. Well, both of them being an inert gas that, um, and is the carbon dioxide, because it's a mix, it's carbon and oxygens, um, I guess I assume it's it's an inert gas, but, um, argon being a pure, a, just a pure form of pure inert gas, it's a really great one, um, which also I believe can be used in the neons, uh, and when you're making gas glow uh, inside of a tube. And that's another exciting one, which I'm going to have to tell you about too. Um, So you're going to be using that same one also in TIG welding. TIG welding, tungsten inert gas. Now TIG welding is where you're going to be using an electrode is going to be, the tungsten is going to be the electrode. And tungsten has such a high melting point that you can use the tungsten as electrode and make it create the spark, the the, the arc that will melt your metals. But your tungsten can glow red on, it's not gonna melt. And so you're gonna add another metal in there as the filler metal. So generally in one hand, you got the tungsten electrode creating the arc and the other hand you have your filler metal pushing it in there and so with the MIG it's like this kind of like glue gun where you just pull the trigger and you have a feed rate of the metal spool wire that's coming out and it's just gonna feed at a certain rate that you preset before you pull the trigger um, and where with the tungsten you're gonna be using the electrode, to create that arc and then pushing in the metal with your other hand like you've got the electrode in your right hand the torch um and that is the torch that the fire that is creating is the arc metal the arc spark and that's melting it and so that torch is in your right hand and then in your left hand You've got the filler metal that you'll be pushing into that little wet pool. And then it will also be purging the atmosphere of oxygen through that through that torch is also running an inert gas in there coming out of that. Don't be fooled by the torch. There's not a gas on fire in there. The only gas that's coming through is an inert, inert gas. It does not combust. So the inert gases are the ones that... Um like they're just on one side of the periodic table and they're the ones that don't that don't explode, um but they do glow. It's really confusing. It's the atoms can be excited and they don't explode, so it's like the inert gases are the argon and it's fluorine? Inert? A neon? There's some other ones, too. We'll look, we'll look that up. We'll talk about that later. Um, so, the tungsten, you're just going to be using inert gas. Where, back to MIG, sometimes there is what's called a dual shield. And you can get a wire that has a flux core. So they got this fancy, tiny little wire that they've somehow wrapped it around a flux. So the flux inside of it, different than the arc stick, which is a little thicker stick. It's like, you know, usually around an eighth inch or so stick. A sixteenth and eight inch, eighth inch stick with the flux on the outside where the MIG spool wire has the flux on the inside. And that stuff burns off and creates that, atmosphere of oxygen it's of of atmosphere of oxygen an oxygen-free environment it was purging the atmosphere of oxygen that one is particularly messy it's very splattery and it's really kind of low on the desirability ratings of which ones you want to use arc is going to be like it's really great for big thick stuff like if you're welding your bridge together you're going to want to use an arc welder you can really stuff a lot of filler metal in quickly and it can get really hot and it's a big arc and it works great for like big fill thick deep penetration welds mig welding is really great in its ease of use you can really like just point you just point and shoot. It's really the glue gun of metal welding. TIG is super fancy and clean, and if you want to make it really nice, if you want to make a stack of dimes, you're going to want to use a TIG welder. And then you can just really dial in your weld and make it super perfect and nice. Um, they all kind of have their use. And MIG, you can, if you're not using a dual shield, if you're just using the inert gas, and... You've also prepped your surfaces really well. You can um, get really nice welds with mink also. Um, and all of them have their real purposes and they also can be used in real funky ways. Then you also have torch welding using a oxygen and acetylene, or if you're really careful using oxygen and propane. But oxygen and acetylene is kind of the standard torch welding and that you'll then also need to have a flux that you can add that you can dip your rod in and use a flux to purge the atmosphere or if you're really tricky you can do it without a flux or even crazier which you should not do um you can weld things together like that are painted and sometimes those paints can act as a flux one time when i was a younger man much crazier than i am now um welded together a whole bike using clothes hangers with no flux and the plastic coating on the clothes hangers and the paint on the bikes worked as a flux and we were able to get a bike welded together in that um in that way that was totally illegal probably shouldn't even be talking about it when i'm in california um it's so naughty um but definitely wearing a respirator is always a good idea when you're welding which surprisingly most welding hoods don't fit over a good respirator which is also a good sign of um, how much the industry actually cares there's all these kind of great laws and things about what you can and can't do, and then there's actually the functional equipment um, and the functional equipment that's provided to you by those workplaces. Uh, so being careful with paint, and also another one you got to be careful of is galvanize, where you can get the uh, get the galvi flu from burning off the... Uh, the... It's not magnesium, it's um, it's the stuff that's inside fucking pennies, um, and you can um, get the... Those gases can be really nasty, but they also burn up quick and dissipate fast, so if you're careful, you can also um, vent them well. I mean, this is the kind of stuff I probably shouldn't even be talking about, because, you know... Doing weird shit with metals and burning them. It's going to give you the death. But here's the deal. You're going to fucking die at some point. Um, So don't listen to people on podcasts that are driving around in cars in the middle of the night eating carrots. Telling you about how to uh, what you might call weld things. I mean, you're getting things hot enough to weld. You're already fucked. Your respiration system, you know, you're really exposing it to some crazy things. Things, Crazy things happen at 2,000 degrees. Everything's very excited. Everything's very dangerous. And that's exactly why you're doing it. So, torch welding. Um, you're going to be um, doing some torch welding. With oxygen acetylene, that's like really the finesse. That's where you can really do a lot with a torch. You can cut and you can weld, and it's all really hard to do. And you can also make it look really nice. And it's also the generally it's the old school style, and it's not used that much. It's pretty like kind of out there, and it's good to learn. It's a great thing to learn how to do, and if you really want. To be able to do a lot with the minimum, an oxygen-acetylene setup is really the way to go. For years, that was all I had in my garage was an oxygen-acetylene and an angle grinder, and that will really um, that will cut it, and that will weld it, and that will heat it, and that will bend it, and that will do all the things you need to do. Um, both having an oxygen and an acetylene tank are incredibly dangerous things. Um, But again, all this stuff is really dangerous. And so just being aware of your dangers and then figuring out how to mitigate those risks is all part of what you're doing as a craftsperson. As you're always, once you're making something and you're really exposing yourself to pain, injury and death, and um, part of what you're doing as a craftsperson is understanding all of those um, so that you can make a thing um, because That's what we're here to do, right? Is make a thing. So we want to weld some stuff, all right? Now, any of these tools that we might use to weld a thing, we're going to need to prepare our things that we want to weld together in a certain way. And so if we're going to prepare these things... Um, they're pretty similar all around if we're, whether we're torch welding, MIG welding, TIG welding, or arc welding it. And so grinding these things to prep the surface is probably the most basic and ideal thing that we're going to want to do. Grinding or sanding it um, is going to be how we're going to clean it up and get it ready. And then also washing it off um, using a solvent uh, to clean it is a good way to do that. Um, all sorts of different solvents available. Um, alcohol is a really good and basic one. A lot or most or all of the solvents are um, flammable. So being really careful about flammables um, around all of these welding machines. Um, definitely some great stories about torch welding and just any kind of welding and prepping your service with alcohol and everything catching on fire and you don't notice that it's on fire because you're wearing a big hood and a jacket um and that's really uh man dangerous um gasoline kerosene alcohol acetone xylene um GHB, all of these solvents are really dangerous, and most of them are really flammable, except for GHB, but that has its own dangers and you don't want to use that um, to wash your metals. Uh, So you're going to clean the surface. You're going to clean the surface with the solvent to get the oils off. You're going to grind it or sand it if you got to sand it, but uh, that's going to just be harder. Um, but you might need to do that um, for shape, size, heat, whichever. And if you're going to grind it, you're probably going to use an angle grinder. That's a really common tool. A four-and-a-half-inch angle grinder is a very common tool in a metalworking scenario. Um, four and a half inch referring to the blade size, the disc that you're going to use really common one. There's other, there's six inches and eight inches and there's bigger ones. Um, but those can be very unruly, really large, difficult to deal with. Um, and also incredibly dangerous. The four and a half inch angle grinders are really also really dangerous, um, but are really useful just not dangerous enough that um they're pretty pretty common and can be used fairly safely um The couple bits of danger that you might be running into is that it's a spinning wheel at the end of a tool. it is a um gosh it's a little sidewinder gear little worm drive gear so the angle i believe is referring to the motor as then the the drive mechanism is at a 90 degree angle to the motor and so you'll have a handle on one side and it's kind of a you know a three inch around or so tube shape motor drive and then the disc, the drive mechanism coming off at a right angle out at the end and you have a handle off to one side and a half inch or five eighths, I guess, five h arbor that you bolt your disc onto and you can get a cutting wheel or a grinding wheel or a sanding, Sometimes called a flap disc, which is a bunch of flaps of sandpaper um, and they all kind of have great purposes. Cutting discs are the thin ones. Those are usually around a 16th inch thick. And they're just really used for cutting the metal. Then there's a grinding wheel. And those are usually around a quarter inch thick. And those are more for grinding, removing the material after you've cut it, cleaning things up. And then the sanding discs, um, flap discs, and those are used to clean things up also to take off a burr to clean up an edge to start to polish things so wire wheels less common now because the wire wheels are really incredibly dangerous and a real pain in the butt and the flap discs have pretty much replaced them um because of the flap discs are really available they're fairly cheap wire wheels can uh, it is a little bit more on the polish side um wire wheels really chuck wires out they really can throw their wires all over the place and so they're pretty like some shops just even they're just prohibited they just don't even let you have a wire wheel because they're so dangerous and they just throw wires all over the place there's other abrasive kind of things but really like cutting disc grinding wheel and the flap discs are what you need. And the flap disc, if you had a 60, 80, and a 120, you're going to get things plenty clean enough and polished enough for uh, for what you're doing, right? Because what you're doing is just fucking around, right? Um, so the grindy wheels and the cutting wheels are made from silicone carbide which is a very strong abrasive and you can also get silicone carbide in just a bag of powder and you can use it to grind and polish oftentimes glass is really the thing you're going to want to be um, grinding with silicone carbide powder but you can use it as an abrasive in all sorts of things um, when you're cutting metal with the silicone carbide discs grinding discs and wheels what is holding that grit together is a, is a, an adhesive, the matrix that is holding that silicon carbide. You're not; it's not actually a pure silicon carbide disc. Pure silicon carbide is a bit brittle, and you can get bricks. If you've ever had to grind a uh, flat top grill in the kitchen at your restaurant job, you might have used a silicon carbide brick on that, and um, at the end of the night putting water and hot oil on the flat top and grinding it while you're also grinding and burning your fingers off. um, That's a silicone carbide um, brick. Um, And that same sort of thing, what you're worried about there is the silica and the silicosis is what you're going to get from all of those, um, that fine powder so in addition to the silica and the silicosis that you might be worried about from those silicone carbide discs those cutting discs and cutting wheels you're also worried about the adhesive that's in the matrix that is the matrix that's holding that disc together that is going to um, be really bad for you and be very toxic um, and so those Organic vapors that are going to be burning off from that grinding wheel and grinding disc are also um, Something to really worry about. So this is another reason you're going to want to wear a full face respirator uh, Or at least a half face respirator the kind that goes over your mouth your nose and your mouth You're gonna to want to shave your face hairs off and get that a good tight seal from that silicone face mask with a P100 mask, so the particulates, 100% of particulates, um, and N100 organic vapor fully, sometimes they used to make a double stack where you'd have one that gets particulate and the other gets organic vapor. Now a lot of those cartridges just come all as one, and you're going to want to have those Cartridges on a face mask and figuring out a face protection situation so that you're both protecting your eyes and your inside lungs from all this nasty stuff that is produced when you're grinding and cutting with these tools that are really surprisingly functional, useful, and fairly safe these days. But the trade off is that we got to deal with these kind of uh, gnarly adhesives um and all this stuff that's um makes it so easy that you can just buy off the shelf these things it's uh, a wonderful place to be in this new world of um composite materials but also it's really it still is there's a lot of uh a lot of dangers in these composites and um what they can do to our bodies so get your full face respirator got your grinding wheel and you're able to grind and cut and then you can use a flap disc and kind of same thing the flap disc it's like there's it's a it's a grit on top of a piece of paper and that grit is glued onto that um paper with a adhesive that is the stuff that's going to burn up as it grinds and that's the stuff that's going to be really um bad for you So you're going to want to grind your metal very clean and also prepare it in such a way that there's space for that filler metal. If you're doing kind of a butt weld where two parts are right up against each other and you're going to want to create a space for that metal that you're going to put in there, the filler metal, and the bigger your thing is and the more strength you need the more penetration you're going to want to get and the more penetration you want to get for it to remove the metal to create a deeper penetration and more space for the filler metal to go in um and to really like then you're dealing with like your heat and how much heat you're putting in and um With arc welding, like even doing this in multiple passes so that you're putting down a certain amount of metal multiple times, in which case you're going to have to probably do the clean and preparing of the surface multiple times where you're going to grind it, grind everything away. So it's basically just creating a big space to put your filler metal in and then you're going to have to do that again. You're going to do one pass and only be able to get so much metal in. And you might then also be using a different kind of metals. And the arc welding gets really particular in the kind of metal that you're using on that stick and how much you're putting in. And you might be doing a pass with like 1080 and then coming in with something else on top. I don't know the numbers right off the top, but the that certain kind of steel, the alloy of steel that you're using becomes important in those passes. MIG welding is, that's where it's like a little less important. Like if you're really doing something structural, you're probably going to be doing arc welding or TIG welding and be really particular. Where the MIG welding, you're going to be just, you're just sticking in mild steel. And there is different alloys you can get and that you're going to want to be aware of. Um, But generally just a, mild steel um, will be, is what you'll be using in a MIG welding. Um, And then maybe if you're torch welding, you might even just be sticking in a stick of metal. Um, But you're also going to be having different alloys you could use with the MIG, or with the torch welding. Um, But that stuff, I feel like that's when you really, you know, just to get into the basics of this stuff, you really got to like, you got to just do the basics, and then you're gonna get further into that. Uh, are you? Are you really gonna get further into it? I mean, what are you really listening to this for? It's a good question. What am I really talking about this for? I'm trying to get it off my chest, you know. All this information. So we've got our services ground and prepared to accept our filler metal and so we have enough space for the filler metal to get into so that our weld isn't going to be super proud. It's not going to be sticking way out, but also tight enough so that we're not having to do a bunch of passes to fill it in. Um, Everything we're accounting for, the penetration, the amount of penetration we're going to be able to get out of our Heat source, how much we're going to be able to melt those and how much we're actually going to actually be able to get the metals to stick together. Um, then we're also going to want to account for the movement of the objects as we weld them because when you're heating metal, it's going to, and you're going to take it to liquid and then to hot and to down to cool the room temp, it's going to shrink and it's going to move. So if you just took two pieces and you stuck it at a right angle and then you tried to weld it and then you look at it, it's not gonna be a right angle anymore. It's gonna shrink, um, which is a property you can use to your advantage, but but you have to understand it. Um, So you might want to be clamping things together You might want to be configuring them such a way so that when you do weld them, they don't pull in, they don't move, um, or they move in the way that you want them to move. Um, You're also going to do something called tack welding, which is where you do a tiny little weld that's not penetrative, and it just holds things in place. Sometimes you might tack weld your components to a metal surface to a metal table you might be you might have a welding table that you would tack or you would clamp things to and then um, and then after you've tacked everything and you've got it kind of rigid, then you come in and apply your weldments and really like, Put in your penetrative weld. Sometimes you even are going to cut those tacks out and weld in around it. Um, And because you can't weld over that tack, sometimes you can just weld right over that tack depending on what the heck you're doing. Man, we're getting close to Oakland here. I got to do this same drive tomorrow morning. I'm heading back down to Palo Alto, make some more pumpkins. Then I've got a nighttime shift working with a client um, to help actually give them a private lesson of welding and set up a welding table for them. Um, So I got to go back down and do this drive tomorrow. I think I might go back to the bookbinding thing tomorrow. Um, But... Exit 1B here, and I remember I've got this almost memorized, this drive. Um, obviously not until I did miss one exit earlier, but it's just because I was getting excited about the electrons. So, got your things ready to weld, now you want to weld them. That's a whole nother whole another ball of axe it's a whole nother goiter. Um welding with a mig welder or a tig welder or arc welder creating that arc, the distance of that arc with your tig welder you're gonna have a tungsten that you're gonna need to prepare the mig welder you just kind of point and shoot arc welder you're going to have to get that distance of that arc and it's really hard to get that arc to spark and then to kind of hold that metal in just the right distance so it continues to spark but doesn't stick and doesn't unarc. and um I feel like that's kind of one of the tricky ones it's like arc welding is more like torch welding where it's like really hard to do takes a bit of finesse is also can be really, um, uh, can be really, really, um, beautiful when done correctly. So really, we've just gotten to the place where we've cleaned our metal we prepared things we haven't talked about identifying the different kinds of metals, we've just been talking about mild steel. We haven't even talked about what if you don't know what metal it is, how are you going to figure that out? How can you do an arc a spark test to figure that out? Um, and on all the different other kinds of metals, like aluminum, and brass, and bronze, and coppers, and all those things, um, and what how you might want to treat those. Um, Then we got to talk about actually welding and laying down a bead and how to read that bead and how to move across it in such a way, um, as to distribute the heat correctly. Um, and then we got to talk about heat and the shrinking and then how to deal with the heat in those places. Um... And then once we get it welded, we gotta talk about cleaning up, making it look all fancy. Um, or just make it look nice. Peg, like we have a little bit more to talk about here about metal. Um, I was concerned that this one might take a little while. But for now here we are. We're up on Market Street thirtieth. Driving up, driving past the piles of junk, bonfires, somebody's burning their trash in a barrel underneath the overpass. Um, I got some, I got a burger at home I'm gonna cook, I even have a whole bun, I have a bun, and I got a half pound of beef, I got some lettuce greens, I'm very excited about eating those. I'm gonna eat this carrot. Um... There might be some other snacks when we get involved. There's some uh, cheese cracker type things. I might eat those. I've been avoiding dairy, but I feel like the cheese crackers is... It's okay. It's okay. Going to have some more applesauce tomorrow. I'm Looking forward to that also. Maybe I'll stop at the grocery on the way down. um, Because it's only a six-hour shift. With pumpkins. And I'm going to make some little pony head stir sticks. I think those will be a big hit. People are going to really like those. So thanks so much for listening. And coming along with me on this hilarious ride. Um, It's really been a pleasure to share. All these curious. Thoughts with you. I'm glad that you're listening. Um, let see if I can parallel park this dang thing. Um, Chief's excited to get home. Alright, I still got it. I got it. And... I'm excited to get to things that I'm actually like even more excited about. Um, glass, talking about color application in glass, and we're going to make a case for that book that we sewed, and so I'm looking forward to that one, but I'm holding off on that because, like I said, I want to, like, get through some of these things that are maybe even a little bit more boring, um, and keep you excited. I don't wanna use up all the really cool stuff first, but I don't know. I know that I can make it pretty boring too with glass. Wait till I do an hour long talk on um color overlay technique in glass. That's gonna kind of blow your mind. I feel like i'm it's gonna be the same thing I'm gonna to try to get to the overlay and we won't even get the color onto the bubble before. Uh, it'll take an hour just talking about glass color and why you might want to apply it this way and all the history of glass color and chemistry and then we won't even get to the fact of like actually applying that overlay even and different ways that you might be able to get that overlay over there even um so I'm really looking forward to that. I can't wait to share that with you so thanks for listening listening um to this podcast um it's really special to have you here with me and um we'll be back soon okay this is the end of the message bye for now